Thank you, praise team. Hello, hello. Welcome to Rock Fellowship. Happy Sabbath. We're glad you guys could join us uh, for what I'm just going to call our, our Thanksgiving worship service. Um, for me, in a lot of ways, this sermon, um, especially for me that grew up in the church, this sermon is kind of like the last hurrah, like the last barricade before Christmas comes crashing into our faces. For me, growing up, it was always there's Thanksgiving, and then if you want to, Friday, Black, shopping, or Black Friday shopping, and then Saturday, you have your Thanksgiving sermon, and then Sunday and Monday, you make your Christmas playlist. So for me, in a lot of ways, this is kind of the last last kind of gander at Thanksgiving and the spirit of Thanksgiving and like the fleeting memory of the food and the gathering before we have lights and trees and all that good stuff for, uh, for Christmas. And again, I'm a very staunch believer in that Christmas firmly comes after Thanksgiving. So we hope, at least for the span of this worship service, you'll dwell, um, linger with me a little bit longer in the spirit of Thanksgiving. Um, for me, this Thanksgiving, it was kind of an interesting one. Um, I was lucky enough to be invited to a few of our church members' homes, and I had two, actually, large Thanksgiving meals. I had lunch at Sue and Eric's, and then for dinner, I went across the rock path to Ed and Bonnie's house um, and had dinner there as well. And for me, this was actually the first Thanksgiving I've ever had uh, where I didn't have a turkey, and turkey was actually not on either menu. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know that I missed it. I don't know that I really missed turkey. I think we had, we had a delicious, like a dry-aged, or yeah, dry-aged steak at Eric's house. It was amazing. And then we had chicken, brisket, and steak for dinner at Ed's house. So pretty much anything but turkey was served. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think I missed it. I think this is a new norm for me, and I think I'm going to go ahead and, and try to fish out whichever Thanksgiving dinners don't have turkey from now. And that was really good. Um, for me, looking forward, uh, as, as I was, again, this whole day was filled with just like, a bunch of eating. I'm sure many of you guys, what categorizes Thanksgiving for a lot of us, the, th- the first thing we think of, despite the fact that the name of the holiday is Thanksgiving, is turkey. Stuffing food, mashed potatoes, gathering around a family, eating some good food together. And for me, it brought up uh, kind of like a, a weird memory for me growing up. Um, there was a phase in my life, and I don't know how many of you guys can relate to this, between high school and college where I would get canker sores really often. For those of you that may not know what that is, it's when you get like a cut on the inside of your mouth or along your tongue, and it like gets really sensitive and it hurts. And I think I peaked in college at one point. I had like five or six canker sores in my mouth at one time. I had like two on my tongue, the inside of my cheek, like one just under my lip. And I don't know if I just have an especially bad case of this, but whenever I got canker sores, they would be so so painful to the point where I would speak differently because it would hurt to talk normally and I would have this weird like lisp because I try to like move my tongue in ways where I can pronounce certain words. Um, And the worst part for me when I had those canker sores was eating. Eating was such an ordeal where you try to like you eat and you chew your food and you try to tilt your head in a way so the food doesn't touch the canker sores. But when you have five or six, that really isn't an option. And you're just sitting there like eating, you feel like wincing and people are staring at you like, yo, what's wrong with you? And it's like, I bit my tongue like three times last week and now I can't eat anymore. And it always happened that whenever I got these canker sores, we always ate the best food. For whatever reason, the calf food was amazing. We had like high school kids visiting, so the Andrews calf was amazing. For whatever reason, I think there was one time I had a few canker sores and I was really having a hard time eating. Um, and church potluck at Andrews, there was just straight up like two platters of dinner roast. And if you don't know what dinner roast is, in my opinion, dinner roast, as far as veggie meats go, is like S-tier veggie meat. Like that's as good as it gets. And we never have that for potluck. It's fairly expensive and, you know, there's a lot of other options that we had. But we had dinner roast and I was so, so sad. And that's always the weekend when I had it in high school. My friends would always want to go to Korean barbecue or something like that. It always happened when I had this. And for me, 
the main idea in my head, the main thought in my head when I had these kangaroo swords was, dang, I really wish I didn't have these right now. That's the only thing I could think of. I really wish I could enjoy the food that I'm eating. I really wish I could speak normally. I really wish every time I accidentally bit the inside of my cheek, I didn't start tearing up right away. And all I could think about was, dang, I wish I didn't have these. And all I could think about was, wow, I really wish I took more advantage of the times when I didn't have kangasaurus to enjoy my food a little bit more. And to be honest, I feel like for a lot of us, that's kind of our relationship with gratitude, right? I think there's nothing, just the reality of the life that we live, there's nothing that makes you appreciate something like not having it anymore, right? And for me, um, as, I was, I was coming, as I was coming up with this sermon, I was doing a list and I, was, I felt like in the spirit of Thanksgiving, you know, I should you know, make a list of things that I'm grateful for. And one of the things that I realized I'm really grateful for um, when I don't have it are my glasses. And I think of Rock, I've asked a few people at Rock, I would say I'm my top three, top four worst eyesight in this building right now. It's really, really bad. When I don't have my glasses, I'm pretty much like, I cannot do anything. I can't drive, I can't cook, I can't read anything unless it's like two inches from my face. And it's this weird paradox of like, when a person that has this bad of an eyesight loses their glasses, it's pretty much impossible to find your glasses. I'm like literally like crawling on the floor, like tapping around, asking my roommate for help. Hey, have you seen my glasses? But again, I never really you know, appreciate or take gratitude for the fact that I have eyesight when I have these on my face. And it's really not until they're gone and I don't have them anymore that I realize, dang, it's really nice to, able to, to be able to see like a normal person. And I think, again, a sad but accurate reality of human existence is that nothing really makes you appreciate something like not having it anymore. And the fast-paced, kind of cyclical nature of our lives makes it so that on your day-to-day life, it's really hard to have feelings of gratitude or gratefulness or thanksgiving because it doesn't really fit into your schedule. It's really hard, and I would argue almost impossible, that when you're naturally going through life, going to school, work, raising kids, going through your routine, very rarely will you find a moment where you just randomly feel grateful. It just doesn't really happen. It's not a very natural thing that occurs into our life, partly because you're just going through life. And, it's, and the sad reality is I think there's a lot, of, a lot of ways that we view life it makes it so that the things that bring us a lot of joy in our lives we tend, to grateful, we tend to take for granted. Some of the things that give us the most joy, convenience, and happiness, and meaning in our lives, after time, because of the routine of our lives, we take for granted. And I feel like unless you're going through an especially extraordinarily amazing moment, like you just had an amazing thing happen to you, or unless you just got out of a really bad place in your life, those are two moments in your life where I feel like, oh, I'm really grateful for the life that I have. If you just got done being sick or you know, had an illness and you got out of it, you're very grateful. If you just had an amazing thing happen to at work in your family, you're grateful. But anything in between, when someone asks you, hey, how's your life going? Could be better, could be worse. Anywhere in, the, in between there, it's really hard to have any um, feelings of gratitude or thankfulness. And so again, like I said, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I decided... You know, since I'm preaching the Thanksgiving message, I should, you know, take my own medicine. And it took some time to try to make a list of things that I'm grateful for. I don't know if you've ever tried to do this before. I know some people journal it, but I just got a sticky note and a pen. And I said, all right, what are some things that I'm thankful for? 
And I think the first thing that comes to mind for most of us are like big ticket recent items that happened. So for me, I did this last night as I started the Sabbath, and I was like, you know what? I was really thankful. I had an awesome Thanksgiving. It was amazing. I, the f- whole day was awesome. I think I started off, oh, I started off some of the church members took me golfing, and to show my appreciation for them taking me golfing, I made sure I used the entirety of the golf course. I checked out all the bunkers, all the trees on the left and right side, threw some balls in the water, definitely took the scenic route to each hole. It was awesome, again, to show my appreciation for them taking me out. And again, I was very grateful for patient and gracious church members. I was also thankful for the amazing meal that I had. And then after that, I was like, all right, what else am I thankful for? And then I immediately went to like family, friends, church members, people I get to work with. And then essentially, to be honest, the list kind of stopped there. But then I was like, this is too short of a list. And then I just started going through things in my life where like it would really suck to not have. Right? I'm grateful that I have both of my legs. I'm grateful that I have 10 fingers. I'm grateful that I have, you know, a car and a roof over my head. And to be honest, I would say that the list ended before that because those were things where I felt like, I mean, I should be grateful for them. Am I grateful for them? If you were to ask me, oh, you're grateful for your car, how do you show that? I don't know. I just, I guess it would be really inconvenient if I didn't have it. And I think the reality is for a lot of us, our relationship with gratitude and thankfulness is one where if I, if I forced you to come up with something you were grateful for, you could probably think of a few things. But then if I asked you, okay, how do you show your gratitude for those things? For a lot of us, it's probably, I really don't. I mean, if you were to ask me, sure, I'm grateful for friends, family, job, house, car. And if I were to ask you the follow-up question, well, then how do you show your gratitude for those things? How do you invoke that feeling of gratitude? For a lot of us, unless it's a special occasion or someone specifically asks us to, we really don't. And I realize that for a lot of us, that's, I kind of ungra- we have a kind of ungrateful relationship with gratitude. And my conclusion with making this list was, dang, this is pretty hard. It's hard and it takes a lot of work to think of all the things in my life that I'm grateful for. And I don't know if any of you guys did this this past Thursday where maybe before dinner you sat around the table and, all right, before we start eating, why doesn't everyone go around and say something they're thankful for? Um, I've done that a few times with my family or when we had a church Friendsgiving, and that's always the most awkward part of the meal. And half the group is always like, come back to me. Let me think of something. Come back to me. And a lot of times, the answer that people give are like, I mean, I guess I'm thankful for like family, parents, house. And it's a very kind of a begrudging, I don't know that I feel thankful for this, but I probably should be grateful for this. And again, the reality is we all know, obviously, it's good to be grateful. If we could be more thankful and grateful, that would be awesome. But the reality is it takes a good amount of effort um, and intentionality, and you being okay with being a little uncomfortable for you to tap into that. But again, outside of Christianity, a lot of studies have shown that there's a direct correlation with gratitude, gratefulness, and happiness. People that are more grateful, people that are more gracious, are grateful and thankful and take time to mold gratefulness into their schedule are generally more happy. And so because of that, I'm glad. If you want to be happier in your life, I'm glad you came to church today. That is kind of what we're going to be talking about as we go into the Word and express and kind of explore this relationship that a lot of us may have with this idea of gratitude. But before we go in, I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity where we can come together um, in the spirit of giving thanks um, and being grateful and thankful for all the blessings, blessings in our life, Father. And as we just sang... Um, earlier in our praise said, Father, I ask that your presence be here, Lord. The Lord is in this place, Lord, and I'm not enough without you, Father. So I ask that you speak through me. May your spirit be in this room. Be with anyone uh, whose hearts may be hardened or ears may be dull, Lord. Father, you know who needs to hear this message, Father. You know who this message is for. I ask that your will be done at Rock Fellowship as it is in heaven. Praise in your son Jesus' name. Amen. 
So the concept of gratitude and thankfulness is actually a pretty big theme throughout the biblical narrative. There's so many verses on gratitude and, you know, rejoice and be thankful always. And there's so many stories of characters in the Bible that express their gratitude. And as I was looking through them, there are essentially three categories of gratitude um, that you can categorize every single verse or story into. The first is this, and it's the most natural. A lot of people give thanks in the Bible after something good has happened to them in their lives. For instance, after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, Moses, Miriam, the Israelites, they sing this great song, praise be to God. He literally just defeated like the greatest civilization for us. He opened the sea, God is good all the time. There's a story of um, Hannah, who's the mother of Samuel, who is unable to give birth and she prays and God gives her a son and she's like, she sings this song of rejoicing. Praise be to God, God, you're awesome. And probably the most uh, famous passage on Thanksgiving in the New Testament is the story of Jesus walking through a town and he sees 10 lepers, so 10 people with leprosy, which is kind of an umbrella term for like contagious, maybe, maybe not contagious skin disease. And in those days, if you're a leper, you lived on your own. And essentially like a prison sentence, you were in a part of society, you live with other lepers outside of town because you're gross. And he sees these 10 lepers and they say, son of man, have mercy on us. Basically saying, you can heal us, heal us of our sickness. And Jesus tells them, all right, go see the priest, the implication being by the time you get to the priest who can confirm that you've been cleansed, you'll be healed of leprosy. And so these 10 guys go, they get to the priest, the priest looks them over and they're like, you're good. Your leprosy is gone. You're free to welcome, free to join the rest of society. And of those 10, only one person who happens to be a Samaritan comes back to Jesus and says, thank you so much. Thank you for literally changing my life, right? I once was a leper out there, but now I get to come in here. Thank you so much, Jesus, right? So again, it's, but again, this, when you read these passages, it's like, it's nothing crazy, right? If, I don't know if you've ever had the joy of having a child. It makes sense that you would be so happy. If you were chased by the largest army on earth and then God destroyed them with an ocean, of course you would be happy, right? If you had a, a contagious, deadly skin disease that forced you to live in exile for the rest of your life and then Jesus healed you, of course you would be happy. And you read these stories and it's like, that makes a lot of sense. That's something I can vibe with. Got it. Good. The second category, and each category gets progressively more difficult and uncomfortable for us, I think, as Christians as we read. The second category is there are people in the Bible that express their gratitude and give thanks in anticipation of what God is going to do but has not yet done. So again, a little bit more unnatural, a little bit more, takes a little bit more effort and faith in your part. But an example of that is this. Um, an easy one is where Jesus, before he feeds the 5,000, he currently only has five loaves and two fish, and before he has actually multiplied the food, he gives thanks to God for what he's about to do. Currently, as Jesus is giving thanks, there are thousands of people that are hungry, hangry, there are no leftovers, there's only seven articles of food, and a lot of people like staring at him, waiting for something. Yet, before he actually multiplies the food, before the miracle occurs, he gives thanks to God, breaks the bread, and feeds everybody. Another example that's maybe not as well known um, is found in the book of Acts. And towards the last few chapters, 27 and 28, Paul finds himself on a ship headed for Rome. And on that ship, there's this crazy storm that happens. It takes place over several days, and people are chucking stuff overboard, doing whatever they can to stay alive. And in the middle of the night, Paul gets a vision from an angel saying, it's going to be good. You're going to be fine. You'll be safe. But he wakes up the next morning and the storm continues. The storm actually continues for several more days, right? And, and eventually he tells the crewmates, hey guys, I had this dream. An angel came and told me, it's going to be good. We're going to be fine. And he's saying this as like, like the wind is blowing. We're going to be okay. It's going to be fine. People are throwing stuff overboard and people are like, what? What do you mean? As he's saying that, 
He says, you know what? Because we're going to be fine, why don't we eat a little something? Let's eat some bread. Again, the storm is still raging, and he gathers them together and says, hey, let's break some bread. And before he breaks the bread, he gives thanks to God. He says, thank you for what you're going to do. And despite the situation, I give thanks. And they break bread, and they eat. And the storm still rages on for a few more days, but eventually they find themselves shipwrecked, shipwrecked but safe on an island. Again, two instances in the Bible where someone gave thanks despite the fact that there was nothing happening yet. That God hasn't come through yet, the deliverance hadn't happened yet, but because of faith in the person that, the, that they trusted in, they were able to give thanks despite their circumstances. And this is, again, a little bit more difficult, I think, for a lot of us. It mean, requires the use of, of a word that maybe some of you may feel uncomfortable with, the, the idea of having faith. Right? Nothing has happened yet. You don't have evidence that it's going to happen, but because you trust in the person, you trust in the creator, you trust in the person that is giving you this gift, you can have faith and say thank you in advance. And it's very similar to how the set list today went. Something about recognizing the greatness of God and giving credit to the giver rather than the thing that has happened yet. And so again, in this instance, both Jesus, who I guess, you know, kind of a cheat code because he, he is God, but Paul also gives thanks despite the fact that nothing has happened yet. But the reason this is easier than the third category is this. In both instances, Jesus is God, so he knows. But Paul had already received the promise, right? The, Paul, the, the promise that Paul received was, you're going to be okay, right? If an angel came to you in the middle of the night with a dream, it's fairly reassuring. He didn't have nothing to go off of. He did have something to go off of. And so that's why it's not as bad as a third category. And the third category is giving thanks when times are hard, and you have no indication that it's going to get any better. And this is where I think for a lot of us, and even as I was writing this message, I was just thinking of what the best way to phrase this was. Because honestly, this is probably the part in the Bible where you read these stories of these you know, biblical heroes giving thanks in the middle of, of tragedy and, and all these crazy things happening to them. And you're probably like, yeah, I mean, that's good for them. I'm glad they can do that. But that honestly sounds a little unrealistic. Sounds like a superhero, like a superpower. How can you give thanks? in the midst of suffering without any assurance that things are going to get better. A few examples of this is, is Daniel. Throughout his entire time in exile, for all that Daniel knew, he was never going back home. It, it is what it is. He's in exile now. He's serving this king, and he's, he's a prisoner of war. But every day, he consistently prayed, and in that prayer, it's specifically mentioned that he gave thanks to God. Even in the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den, where he knew what the stakes were, he knew what was going to happen if he continued praying. He opens his window, he looks towards Jerusalem, he kneels, and he prays to God, giving thanks. And honestly, if you think about it, he didn't have a whole lot to give thanks for in that moment, right? He was being outed by a bunch of people that were jealous of him. He was about to lose his job, and in doing so, he'd probably lose his life. On paper, not a whole lot to be grateful of. And again, it's, it's easier for us to read the story of Daniel and we know how it ends. It's amazing. The lions don't eat you. The problem is Daniel didn't know that. Yet despite that, despite having no assurance of anything getting better, despite currently being in a bad time, he prays and he gives thanks to God. Similarly, Job, um, the end of chapter 1, where after he loses literally everything he owns, Family, property, money, friends, everything, right? Bank account, zero, family members, just him and his wife, nothing. He ends by saying, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise be the name of the Lord, which is crazy. And again, we read the story of Job, and despite how long it is, at the end of the book, if you can get through all of it, you realize, you know he gets restored, right? He gets everything back. But the reality is, in that moment, Job had no indication, had no assurance, unlike Paul in the previous category, that things were going to get better. All he knew was, I had a bunch of stuff, now I have nothing, yet the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise be the name 
of the Lord. There are still things I can be thankful for and praise God for. And that's crazy. We read these stories, and the last one is, is Psalm 69. It's a long, heart-wrenching, and we talked about this in the previous sermon uh, series and before about these, the concept of a prayer of lament. We're crying out to God where you recognize, you look around in your life, and life is not going well. Your relationships, your job, school, whatever it is, isn't going well, and you bring all of that, and you place it at God's feet. And it, honestly, when you read it in the Bible, it, it just sounds like a rant. You're yelling at God, God, how long, O oh Lord? How much longer must I suffer? What is going on? And Psalm 69 is David's psalm of lament. Yet at the very end, he ends the psalm by saying, praise be to God. I'm thankful. There are still things in my life that allow me to say, thank you, I am grateful. Despite the fact that it's a really long, heart-wrenching psalm about basically how nothing in his life is going very well. There's this huge, big, bad omen in his life, these terrible things that are happening. Yet, I can look outside of that and give thanks to God. And again, I would argue by far, this is by far the most difficult time in our lives to be grateful. When you're going through a bad time, when you're going through a hard time, and I think it's very appropriate that this takes place just after we finished our previous sermon series of I'm going through something. If you weren't here for that and you're new to our church, we just finished a, a four-part series titled I'm going through something. And for anyone that's going through a hard time right now, we talked about how the church and God can speak into your life during those instances. But again, when you're going through something, it's really hard, again, for you to have that perspective of gratefulness. But I can't help but think that it's in those moments that when life isn't going well, when you have a bad outlook on life, and a lot of things aren't going the way you thought they would, you're at a place in life that you didn't think you would be, um, that it can be very overwhelming. And I think the reality of if you're here for our I'm going through a series, or maybe if you currently are going through something right now, it's easy for that thing that you're going through to be the central focus on your life. And really, and we talked about it in our youth sab school, we talked about, you know, what is a hard time? What is a time when it's hard for you to be, for you to be gracious or to have gratitude and be thankful? And one of the answers we got was when you're going, when you're depressed, when you're really sad, everything in your life is filtered through the lens of that bad thing that you're going through. Everything in your life, you can't help but look at it through the negative things that are going wrong in your life. And it can be very, very overwhelming. And it overwhelmingly, I would argue, it shifts your perspective of reality because everything is seen and experienced through the lens of that negative thing that is happening in your life. And I would argue introducing gratitude during those times, as difficult as it may be, as counterintuitive as it may seem, will help give you a more accurate perspective of reality. And I say that gingerly because during a, time when you're, during, a, during a time when your perspective on life is overwhelmingly negative and bleak, having a sense of gratitude reminds you of the other side of the coin and of the reality that not everything in your life revolves around the difficulty that you may be going through. And I'm not saying that, you know, just happy-go-lucky that we as Christians, that when bad things happen, just smile and grin and say, no, 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 I'm doing fine, I'm doing great. I'm not saying that you should smile through the pain. I do think, though, there is a nuanced balance where one can, be, one can experience and, ex and feel the sadness of a situation, yet still feel gratitude. I don't think those two are mutually exclusive, and I say that, um, and the first example I can think of is a, is a funeral. In a lot of ways, funerals are not fun events. They're not happy events. They're not joyous, celebratory events. But at the crux of what a funeral is, despite the fact that no one is laughing and cheering, it's a celebration of someone's life. It's a celebration, in a sense, it's a time when you reflect on all the lives that this person has touched, all the good that this person has done, all the amazing influences that someone has done in, throughout their life, despite the fact that we're sad that they're no longer with us. And in a sense, it's being grateful that we were able to be a part of this person's life despite the sadness that we feel 
that they are no longer with us. And I do think it is a difficult balance, but I think it's possible for us to be in a time in our lives when we experience sadness, we acknowledge that sadness to God, yet we can still find time and effort to put a little gratitude into our lives. And I think it's interesting that the person that made Thanksgiving an official holiday um, in America was President Abraham Lincoln. So there were like days of Thanksgiving allotted before that with previous presidents, but the person that made it the last Thursday of, of November was President Lincoln during the Civil War. And it's interesting that during a time when America was fighting itself on home turf, he decided what we need right now is a day where we can take time to give thanks for what we can be grateful for and to reach out to other people around us. It, and I think there is truth there that looking at scripture, there are people that made an effort to express gratitude without ignoring, the, without ignoring the bleak situation that they were in, precisely because it's during those times that a reminder of the things in our life that we're grateful for can be used as a tool to right the ship and keep our perspective bigger and wider than the ordeal that we're going through. And again, I think it's, it's a, tough, a tough sermon to preach and a tough pill to swallow that I think that there may be a time and place for gratitude, um, an intentional, intentional gratitude during a difficult time in your life. Um, but when it comes down to how to be grateful, I think that's the more question we ask. I think when I ask the question of like, we should be grateful during hard times, the two questions we ask are why and how. And I genuinely think the wow is because the why of why we should be grateful during hard times is because it gives us a more accurate view of reality and reminds us that not everything in our life revolves around the difficulty that we're going through. But when it comes to how we can be grateful, I think it comes down to two things. The attitude of being grateful comes down to being intentional and slowing down. Being intentional and slowing down. Again, and it's, it's hard to evoke feelings of gratitude when you're stuck in a fast-paced, cyclical routine of life. Um, and it's, you really do have to make an effort to break free of that. And the reason I say that is when you look at the, the parable, of, not the parable, but the healing of the ten lepers, Right? Just put yourself in the shoes of someone that has lived away from society for so many years. Most of these people probably weren't born with leprosy. They probably got it later in life. So they had a life at one point. And then they were cast out of that life and they lived in these leper colonies. And so Jesus comes by and he heals you. And you go to the priest and he says, all right, you're good. You don't have leprosy anymore. Welcome back to society. Think of how long a to-do list is of someone that just got back into society and cured from leprosy. There are so many things you have to do now. Find a place to live, reconnect with old family members, find a job. There are so many things you should be doing when you're done with leprosy, and nine out of the ten people recognize that. Shoot, I'm good? All right, well, I got some phone calls to make. I got some people to meet. I got to find a job and a place to stay. I'm out. There's a lot on my plate to do. Yet that one person that comes back had to intentionally take a break and say, yes, there is a lot I could be doing. There's a lot I should be doing, but... I'm going to be intentional and make an effort, even if it's at cost to myself, to go back to Jesus and express my gratitude. So in the spirit of doing so, I'm going to introduce um, you to something that has helped me in this endeavor, that has helped me become a little bit more grateful, that has helped me to slow down and to intentionally introduce moments in my life where I could be a little bit grateful. Now, some of you um, may not love me for introducing you to this, um, but in the spirit of Thanksgiving, um, I'm going to potentially mess up with some of your pre-meal prayers in your prayer life, but... In the spirit of Thanksgiving, that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. All right, so I imagine that for most of you that grew up in the church, you have a habit of praying before you eat your meals, right? And I can argue that for 90% of you, I can probably assume you include this phrase, bless this food. Bless this food, help it nourish our bodies. I have a genuine question. What does bless this food mean? When you pray that prayer, right, what does bless this food mean? Are you asking God? that, hey, God, if this food is poisoned or if this chicken is undercooked, please help me not get salmonella. Is that what you're asking him? Are you asking God, God, 
if this food doesn't taste good, help it to taste a little bit better. Bless this food. Jinnia, as I'm saying this, I want you to ask yourself the question. Like, when you ask God to bless food that is already cooked and prepared and you're going to eat in five seconds, what is it that you're asking God to do? Are you asking God, God, in, like, endorse these chicken McNuggets with extra vitamins and minerals. Help it to be healthier than it actually is. What are you asking God to do when you pray to him, bless this food? It's a genuine question. And again, when I first heard this, it kind of messed my life up, honestly. And I was like, shoot, what am I asking God to do? Am I asking God to make unhealthy food healthy? Am I asking God to make food that doesn't taste good taste better? Am I asking God to protect me from poisoning? Like, what exactly am I asking God to do when I say, bless this food? Now, most of you guys have probably never asked yourself this question. And most of you, the reason you say it is because, well, would you grow up in church? And someone else said that. Someone older than you was praying for a meal, maybe at potluck or a family dinner, and they say, bless this food. And you're like, honestly, that sounds like something Jesus should probably do. Jesus, bless this food. What does it mean? I don't know. But to be honest, when it comes to our pre-meal prayers, I mean, you could almost argue, is it even a prayer? For most of us, I imagine, the prayer takes about five seconds. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. Bless the, bless the hands that made it. Help and nourish my body. Amen. About five seconds, right? And again, I'm not saying you should have long prayers before meals. I find those to be a little rude and inconsiderate if it's too long. <laughs> that being said, I do think there is a place and a time to be a little bit more, to slow down with a little bit of intentionality. So most people think that Asking God to bless this food comes from Scripture. And the idea where before Jesus fed the 5,000, he gave thanks and broke the bread, and he blessed the food. Technically, he didn't. Jesus didn't bless the food. He gave thanks for the food. And interestingly, if you go to uh, most Christians in America will pray before a meal. Orthodox Jews and first century Jews would have never prayed before a meal, and you wouldn't ask God to bless the food. The food in and of, in and of itself is the blessing, you pray after the meal, and you thank God for the food that you just ate. So the question remains, when you ask God to bless the food, what is it that you're asking him to do? So one of the theories is that blessing the food came from much later in the development of the Christian church, not from the Jews or, or Jesus, but much later, once Christianity had entered the Western world and become a little bit more mainstream, um, during the Middle Ages, um, there was an era where the words, of, uh, words and philosophies of Plato entered into this church, and this idea of dualism came to prominence within the Christian church. Now, to make it short, a short philosophy lesson, dualism essentially states that everything in the world can be categorized into two categories a spiritual aspect, and a physical aspect. And the spiritual aspect was good, whatever that meant. And anything physical that related to your physical being was bad and evil. And unfortunately, we are members of this physical world, and like, we have to resist these temptations of physical pleasure, but spiritual is good, and one day we'll get to heaven where it's all spiritual and all good. So that being said, what would happen is the reason they would bless this food before they ate it was because, unfortunately, I need to indulge in a physical pleasure and fulfill this craving of hunger. And so in order to make it a little bit better, I'm going to add a spiritual component to this physical craving that I'm going to satisfy. I get that these physical things are bad, but I'm going to bless this food, add a little spirituality into it to make it a little bit better. So in a lot of ways, it's like kind of a pagan prayer. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, once I heard, once I heard that, I, I couldn't say it anymore. Honestly, I don't know about you, but once I heard that, it really like messed up my prayer life. Honestly, I would be praying, dear God, thank you for this day, thank you for this food, thank you that I'm going to eat this food, thank you for whoever prepared it. And it really forced me in those moments to stop and think about 
what am I praying about? What is it that I'm saying? And here's what ended up happening. In a lot of ways, um, my prayers before meals got significantly longer. Now, I'm not talking like five-minute prayers. I'm talking it went from five seconds to like 30 seconds, which in my opinion is still a very reasonable amount of time to pray before a meal. But change, though, is I don't know if you've ever been like in a group setting and, you know, there's no group prayer. It's like, all right, everyone just pray on your own before you eat. If you're the person that prays for 30 seconds before their meal, people will assume, dang, he's going through it right now. Like, he's going through a lot. He's, you see how long he prayed for? He's got a lot on his plate. But the reality was, as I was sitting there praying for the tacos I was about to eat or the food I was going to eat, I couldn't help but have to stop and rephrase the prayer that I was so used to praying for, like, 24 years of my life. I found this out, like, a month ago. And so for the past month, I've been struggling with, like, what do I say? What is it that I'm thankful for? And, and what naturally started to happen was I had to think. I had to think a little bit. I had to pause and slow down and be like, well, I guess I'm grateful for the people I'm eating this food with. I'm grateful for the community, for the fellowship I'm about to have, the conversation, the fact that this person invited me or I invited this person uh, to hang out. I'm thankful that this food I'm going is going to be really good. And I'm thankful for, you know, my relationship with this person or, or something that happened during that day. Again, takes span within the, takes, all takes place within the span of about 30 seconds. And again, I will say, in a lot of ways, it was really annoying. It was really annoying because I would like sit there and like flinch during my prayers. Like, I shouldn't say that. How can I rephrase this? But what it forced me to do was this. It created a sort of speed bump in my life where I can no longer just fly through life and cruise at the current speed I was going with. I had to slow down at least a little bit and acknowledge what it is that I was grateful for, and acknowledge what it is, because in a lot of ways, when we pray before our meal, we're supposed to be talking to God, but it's more often that we feel like we're just reading a script that we're supposed to say, rather than actually communing with the creator of the universe, and what this allowed me to do was to pause for a little bit longer and realize, I'm talking to God right now, what can I tell him? As I look back in my life, the meal I'm about to eat, the person I'm going to eat this with, what am I truly truly thankful for. And again, for me, it really hit the two, the two aspects of gratitude, intentionality and slowing down. Intentionality and slowing down. And there's a great quote that um, I, was, I learned about gratitude. And the quote is, gratitude is what happens when you slow down enough to be thankful for the life you have. Gratitude is what happens when you slow down enough to be thankful for the life that you currently have. And when you make an effort to slow down, to look around and recognize the things in your life that you're grateful for, as Christians, we're simultaneously reminded of, of so many other things, that we can be grateful for this anticipation. Again, the second category of gratefulness in the Bible is this idea of being thankful for something that you were promised, yet has not yet happened. And in a lot of ways for me, as I've slowed down and I've decided to try to be a little more thankful in my walk with Jesus and my time as I go through life, it's amazing that I can be grateful for something that is still to come, that I have received the promise of great value. I've received this gift, this amazingly valuable gift at no cost to myself that allows me to have hope for a future, to thank God in anticipation of something that is to come. Grateful for the gift that he's given me and something that I can look forward to, a life of more, a life of hope, a life of better. And the reality of our lives that despite what may be going on in the world or in our relationships or in our school or in our jobs, that there is a time and a place for gratitude in our lives despite what we may be currently going through and that it's not necessarily a mutual feeling to feel a sorrow that you're going through in life and feeling, taking intentional time out of your day to spend gratefulness in your life. And when we slow down enough to remind ourselves of the fact that there are things to be grateful of despite what we may be going through, despite what we may hear, when we take time to slow down enough to remind ourselves of that, we get to see the world a little bit more through the lens of Jesus.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, I want to thank you for, for this message of gratitude, Father, and this reminder that you've given us, Lord, that in a lot of ways, um, we're just flying through life, God, and it's sad that for many of us, um, we overlook the things in life that bring us the most joy because of our routine, because of the pace of life that we live at, and if only we were to take a little bit more effort into our lives than our day to slow down, to hit that pause button, to gracefully go over that speed bump instead of flying through it, Lord, we'd realize that there's so much more in life to be grateful for and to be happy, Father. Lord, I thank you that because of who you are, no matter what, where we are in life, there are things to be grateful for, Lord. There are things to be thankful of despite what we may be going through, Father. And I imagine that for a lot of us in this room, myself included, that most of our life, we're just fine. We're okay. Life isn't bad. Life isn't great, Lord. And especially in those moments, it's easy for us to lose track of who you are and what you've done and the little simple pleasures in our life that you've placed in, in our lives to help us experience you, Lord, to remind us of you and of your love. So, Father, my prayer is that for this week, moving forward, Lord, you give us that heart of, of intentionality, of slowing down, and remind us, Lord, as you always do, um, of your love and what we can be grateful for. Praise in your son, Jesus' name. Amen.